It's pneumonia. Hillary Clinton has pneumonia. Did you know that? We're going to go over that because it was a big story yesterday when you figured yesterday was going to be, I don't know, about reflecting on September 11th. So we're going to get into Hillary Clinton's health scandal. Uh, what some politicians like Donald Trump had to say about that, but we're also going to reflect on 9-11. Uh, football season's back, so we got to talk about that a little bit too, right? And, uh, oh yeah, Gary Johnson's little Aleppo flub, but yeah, let's talk about how the internet blew up about that and how insignificant that kind of seems. All this and more. Thanks for tuning in. This is FritzCast. It is. It is FritzCast in an unprecedented move. We're just going to let the music cut itself off right now. That was crazy, right? That was new. That was different. Actually, it was just lazy. Straight up lazy. Let me tell you something. I was going to create some kind of intro opening reflecting on 9-11 with sound clips and uh, it was going to be like you know a minute or two long and it was going to be nice, uplifting, inspirational type of music. And I just got really lazy with it. I decided, I decided as I was trying to work on it this morning that I just didn't want to do it that way. I didn't want to... I didn't want to dive into it the way I used to dive into it. I think with every passing year, it's, it's, it's a good thing that we move forward and we move upward. That being said, like, it's not saying let's forget about it. You, you can't ever say that. And you shouldn't ever say that. Honestly, 9-11 is something, it is still, it still carries a lot of weight to it for for some people. I would I would suggest I would say everybody it should, but this is uh this is really weird. I'm sure you guys have been on social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever and you've seen the meme uh getting passed around. I guess memes an improper term for it. It's not really a funny thing, but it's one of those like hit you in the gut type of things. Today's uh high school freshman just entering freshman year in high school, they're learning about 9-11 as a historical event that happened uh, prior to their birth. That's a little nuts for people like me who are going to hit the age of 30 in a couple years uh, because we lived it. We were, I was in middle school when 9-11 happened and I can I I didn't lose anybody. I don't think I was under the threat of losing anybody that day. But the impact of it it still impacted me heavily uh as a I must have been 12. Yeah, what 12 cuz I'm 27 now, minus 15. I I can do math kinda, not really good, very good, but I can kind I can kind of do math without the assistance of an Asian person or a calculator occasionally. So I was 12 and but it, it impacted me because it's it was one of those it's it's one of those altering events in the world that happen that make you sit back and make you realize some of the harsh realities of the world. At 12 years old and I was like, "Oh, people can hate that much that they could do something of that caliber." And it doesn't matter what you got what 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 you were taught in history. You know, it doesn't matter if you knew about 
the other atrocities that have happened in the world because when you haven't lived through them yet, when those events haven't happened around you, they're just stuff that you hear. You know it happened. You see the pictures of it and all that, but it happened, you know, X years ago. So it's like if we sat here and talk and we, and we talk about World War II and uh, the mass genocide of the Jews, um, it's something that we know happened. Uh, some people have family that was personally affected by it. But ultimately, it's just something that you read about or you were taught about, and it's not quite there in your head as something that happened, you know, in your lifetime. And then it happens in your lifetime. So 9-11, no, I wasn't under threat of losing anybody, I don't believe. And it didn't impact me on a personal level like that, but it impacted me on a level of... I live in this nation, and our nation's values essentially came under attack that day, if you get what I mean. And it was still very, very, uh, very heartbreaking, emotional day for me. Uh, for somebody who, like I, I've said it before, I, I believe I have a lot of national pride, and I care about it a lot, and. So, I mean, I remember being in class that day. I remember seeing teachers hysterical running back and forth talking to each other. Tr them trying to figure out what they should tell us, how they should break that news to us. And, I mean, at this time, you know, computers and Internet existed, so we were at school and we were just looking it up anyway. Uh, just not at blazing high speed, you know, just not at blazing high speed Internet speeds. And, you know, not at HD quality and not on, not really on social media. Social media was, you know, picking up uh, shortly thereafter. But I remember being there. I remember radio broadcasts going on. I remember getting on the bus going home, just listening to the radio. And then when I got home, all I did was sit in front of the TV and I watched. I watched everything that unfolded up into that point. I had watched uh, President Bush's address to the nation. Uh, that's when I became, it's honestly what triggered a lot of political interest, uh, in me at that time. At that time, um, right before it happened, in fact, I was peaking on political interest, uh, especially because at that time, at that time, when I was, you know, 12, uh, I was, I, I was liking George Bush more than, uh, Al Gore during that election, and I remember paying attention to that election, and then after it happened, George Bush still had a lot of critics and a lot of criticism, and I was one who was there saying, he's not a perfect man, but, you know, sometimes he says the right thing. Sometimes he knows exactly what to do. I think if you go back in retrospect, in retrospect, and, like, go on YouTube, look up his 9-11 address that night, look up uh, his addresses to Congress, look at all that stuff, and tell me at some points he wasn't a, a, a true leader doing exactly what needed to be done. I think it's hard to argue that point. In some cases. Again, best president? Hell no. But at the time, the way he handled some of the... Uh, some of the, Just the way he addressed the nation, the way he told us all, Hey, you know what? We're going to go back to work. Or we're going to stay Americans. We're going to do what we do. It's not going to change our lives to the degree that they want it to. 
I think it was important that that be said. Uh, you know, maybe it wouldn't have mattered who it was delivered from, but some people like the fact that it was delivered from, you know, a otherwise little Texas halfwit who became president. But 9-11 rolls around, and I always take time to reflect. I always, uh, I always go back and re-watch some of the news broadcasts, listen to some of the commentaries, uh, and that's the magic of the internet nowadays. You can A lot of it is on podcasts, a lot of it is on YouTube. You can just go and look at it up anytime. Sometimes I watch those little tribute videos that people throw together and, and things like that. Uh, as for as far as talking conspiracy theories and, and 9-11 truthers and all that jazz, I don't dive into a lot of that. Um, and I don't want to now either because uh, I don't think it's appropriate. Speaking of appropriate... Not so sure the news broadcast focusing on Hillary Clinton's collapse yesterday was appropriate uh, for the subject matter of what the day was. But it happened, right? I guess it happened. So let's dive into that. So Hillary is attending these 9-11 memorial services yesterday. And midway through, I believe it was an hour... It was either 30 minutes to an hour in. She leaves uh, because she's feeling, quote, overheated. Then uh, they walk her over to the road, waiting for her caravan to come pick her up. So she's surrounded by, you know, a couple Secret Service agents. Uh, she's standing there, and she's not having a... a she, she's not doing it with ease. She's definitely struggling. You can see that. You can go on any news website. You can watch the video. Because I don't know who I don't know who caught the video, and I don't know how they're not dead yet. But somebody caught the video, <laughs> and that was a joke, by the way, for for those who are sitting there going, "I can't believe he cracked a joke." But it's it's a joke. Lighten up, okay? Maybe the guy is dead. I don't know. Why would the news report it? So she's waiting for her motorcade. She's surrounded by Secret Service agents who are holding her up. When the car gets there. They then walk her forward, and she nearly collapses, and they toss her in the van, encircle it so you can't see anything, and the van takes off. Okay. This is via The Hill, uh, posted last night at 525. Uh, quote, Hillary Clinton has been ill with pneumonia. Her doctor revealed in a Sunday evening statement that shook up the presidential race. Clinton's health has been the subject of much speculation, fueled most recently by a coughing fit she had at the start of a campaign event in Cleveland, Ohio, last Monday. But now it seems the symptoms she blamed on seasonal allergies may have been a sign of the pneumonia that was diagnosed on Friday. Dr. Lisa R. Bardock released a statement via the campaign revealing the diagnosis on Sunday evening hours after the Democratic presidential nominee was seen stumbling on video after exiting a 9-11 memorial event early. Bardock said Clinton had an examination at her home in Chappaqua after the incident, which was a, a result of dehydration and overheating. She said the candidate is, rehi quote, rehydrated and recovering nicely. The statement actually reads uh, from Dr. Lisa Bardock, medical doctor, 
quote, Secretary Clinton has been experiencing a cough related to allergies. On Friday during a follow-up evaluation of her prolonged cough, she was diagnosed with pneumonia. She was put on antibiotics and advised to rest and modify her schedule. While at this morning's event, she became overheated and dehydrated. I have just examined her, and she is now rehydrated and recovering nicely. So, Hillary Clinton isn't in the best of health right now. Whether we want to debate her long-term and uh, deeper health issues, I don't. This is the whole thing. This is the whole thing. First off, yesterday, nine eleven. Focus should have been nine eleven. Should have been on the memorial services. I get it. You're the news. She practically collapses and she leaves early. And I guess you got to cover that. But, I mean, it literally was a media tirade that was nothing but commentary on, is she healthy enough? Is the DNC uh, plotting uh, an emergency meeting to find a new candidate? Uh, what, what what else lies ahead for Hillary Clinton? If her health isn't in, if, her, if she isn't in 100% healthy condition, how can we continue to go on and let her run as president? And it's just, uh, for... Everything for all the commentary for all the news that I see captured on this, doesn't it just seem like we're trying to grasp at whatever little thing will eliminate her? That's what it seems like to me. It seems like the news media, the conservative media, just trying to grasp at straws because the email thing didn't work, and I think the email thing is pretty serious and significant. I do think that that is a a huge hit on her, on her character on her capabilities, I do personally think that's a hit on her. That's not the number one reason that I'm not voting for her and don't support her. It has a lot more to do with the ideological differences in in, politi- in politicals. In politicals? Really? I, uh, you know what? I'm not going back and edit it. And editing that, I'm not going to do it. It's differences in political philosophy uh, for me and her. I don't don't side with that. And we're not going to dive into Donald Trump right now. Actually, I do have something positive to say about Donald Trump. You're actually going to hear it in your ears when I play it. But that's a different thing. I think it's grasping at straws. Why are we focusing on her, on her health? Uh, especially because this is probably legit. She probably does have pneumonia. And guess what? She's like 70. Somebody who's 70 and has pneumonia, shit happens. Shit happens. All right? And mind you, Donald Trump... <sighs> should I play the good bit first? Should I should I go into the tirade first? We're, all right, we'll play the good bit first. Uh, we should go with the good first. Good Donald Trump bit. Hold the phone. Let me pull it up for you. Like you, I just... Uh, I see what I see. The coughing fit was uh, a week ago, so I assume that was pneumonia also. I mean, I would think it would have been, so something's going on. But I just hope she gets well and gets back on the trail, and uh, we'll, we'll be seeing her at the debate. Okay, so right there, everybody who says that I just knocked Donald Trump and I never pay him any compliments or anything, that right there was 100% professional of Donald Trump. Write it down. All right, this is the 15-minute mark in the audio. Right before the 16-minute mark, in fact. Write it down. I said something nice about Donald Trump. So you can stop getting on my case, punk.
about how I don't give credit where credit's due. It's a story about punk later in the audio. Stay tuned. Be great, kids. But you have that. You have you have like every talk pundit, uh, news person, whatever talking about it. Bill Meyer talking about it. Uh, Michael Moore talking about it. I don't know why anybody would pay Michael Moore an ounce of uh, attention or give him any sort of credibility or credence because he is nothing uh, but a douchebag. But either way. Like, I don't want to read breaking news stories about how uh, half of her campaign has been sick with pneumonia because that's, that's the statements coming out now. Campaign officials saying, "Yeah, we've we, it's been going around. It's just what's going. Around. It's just what's um, it's what's going around the office. You know, everybody gets a little sick, and uh, you know now everybody's sick, and you know now we're finally gonna take a break. Yeah, we're finally gonna stop trying to, you know, fake it and just take a couple days off. You know, lay around on the couch. You know, it's great. Yeah, maybe Hillary Clinton should have taken a break for her health, which I mean." It's it's a presidential campaign. I guess you have to campaign vigorously uh, until you have coughing fits on the stage and then have to write off why the hell you're coughing so much. Maybe you take a break. I don't know. But, hey, Donald Trump said something nice about Hillary Clinton. Hopes she gets well, and I'll see you at the debate. So enough about Clinton's health because, honestly, it's making me sick. And I'm just, I'm tired of it. Let's le- let's attack her legitimately because everybody using the health thing just is out of, is, is doesn't want to use the legitimate stuff to argue her now. Wants to say, oh, well, look, she's unhealthy and she could just, she could just freaking collapse and die. You don't want that in a president, do you? It's not a very good presidential quality to just up and die. Be sick and also highlights how the media just rolls with something uh, continuously something that's that's you know maybe it's significant but it's mostly insignificant when you look at the broader picture of everything almost uh, how about Gary Johnson's little gaffe now before I even dive into it why don't I just play the audio clip what would you do if you were elected about Aleppo about Aleppo and what is Aleppo you're kidding no Aleppo is in Syria. It's the, uh, it's the epicenter of the refugee crisis. Okay, got it, got it. Okay. Well, with regard to Syria, um, I do think that it's a mess. I think that the only way we, we, that we deal with Syria uh, is to join hands uh, with Russia to diplomatically bring that at an end. But when we've aligned ourselves with when we've supported the opposition, uh, the Free Syrian Army, the Free Syrian Army is also uh, coupled with, uh, with the Islamists, uh, and then the fact also supporting the Kurds, uh, and this is it's just, it's just a mess. And that this is the result of uh, regime change uh, that we end up supporting, and um, Inevitably, these regime changes have led to a less safe world. So yeah. an alliance with Russia is the solution to Syria. Do you think Vladimir well, Putin uh, and Russia are a good and, and reliable partner? Well, um, I, th- I think diplomatically that that, is the, that that has to be the solution, is joining hands uh, with uh, Russia to bring, to bring this civil war to, to an end. 
And oh, the can of worms that that opened up. Because Gary Johnson, instead of pulling an answer out of his butt, said, what is Aleppo? And and what is Aleppo? And as a joke, I go around all the time now and I just ask people, because they, they've been poking fun at me. Uh-huh, you're the Gary Johnson guy and he didn't know what Aleppo was. Most people poking fun at me saying... He didn't know what Aleppo was, didn't know what Aleppo was until after this little news story broke. In fact, if you looked up Google uh, analysis, you would have seen that Aleppo had barely been Googled before this this interview. When he flubbed on this interview, Aleppo shot up you know, whew, tenfold in searches because people had to flock to figure out why they should be angry at Gary Johnson. Now, I can get the argument that, you know, okay, well, he's a presidential candidate, though. America isn't going to know what it is or what Aleppo is, and and I don't, you know. This is the argument I got from a lot of people. Well, I don't care if, if Americans in, in general don't know what Aleppo is, but Gary Johnson as a presidential candidate should be able to know uh, the, the random city uh, that's in the middle of the Syrian conflict. Now, mind you, news and media, they all rush to bash Gary Johnson, including the New York Times. And the New York Times then, like, misidentified what Aleppo was, like, twice and had to put edits in there because they misidentified it as the uh, once capital of ISIS and the capital of Syria, which neither was true. Both were false. And there's the New York Times saying, Gary Johnson doesn't know what it is and can't even identify what it is themselves. I mean, you are talking about Donald Trump didn't know what Brexit was when he was asked about it. Interview from The Hollywood Reporter a while ago. They asked him about Brexit, and Trump was like, huh? What? Hmm? Didn't know what the term Brexit meant. And some people want to argue, oh, well, Hillary Clinton certainly would have known what it was. Donald Trump, questionable whether or not he would know what it was. But... There's an interesting point that came into my mind when I was thinking about the criticisms on this and, you know, oh, Gary Johnson doesn't know the the name of random city Syria. As I'm sure you all well know, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, they get to sit in on intelligence briefings uh, periodically now as presidential candidates. Now, there's not one article, one source, one, one bit of information I can find where that is extended to third-party candidates such as Gary Johnson. I don't think Gary Johnson sits in or gets to sit in on any intelligence briefings from the CIA or the FBI or anything. Which begs the question, okay, maybe Hillary would know Aleppo. Maybe uh, maybe, maybe Hillary Clinton would know. Maybe Donald Trump would know. But then again, they get to sit in on intelligence briefings and hear it over and over and over and over again. Plus, with the amount of aides and staff that they have for their campaign, I can guarantee you, one, the, the, not 30 seconds after Gary Johnson asked, what is Aleppo? Somebody was calling up Donald Trump, or somebody in his campa- campaign hit the books real quick and went, Aleppo, Syria, this is what it is. So that they wouldn't get hit with it. Now, even interesting further... Uh, the guy that asked him the question, Mike Barnacle, he posted that he posted this on the Daily Beast, and I'm going to just read it to you, uh, or at least some of it. Uh, it's t- 
title is I Asked Gary Johnson About Aleppo. I don't blame him for not knowing. Let me dive into this article and give it to you. Quote, maybe you saw it. Maybe you caught, maybe it caught your eye and caused you to stop for a moment to think about the image and damage that was so evident. But it was taken in August, the, the heart of summer, and there were picnics and pennant races, a week of vacation, family demands for fun, the beach for a day without a bill in the mail, for back-to-school shopping, or the dread of taking your oldest child off to college for the very first time and the loneliness that might fill your, fill your soul. So you might not remember it. It's okay if the picture stopped you in your tracks for only a moment. It was taken a world away from the flood of news we get each second of every day about Clinton and Trump and school shootings and why we should fear terrorist attacks and the lingering anxiety of the shrinking dollar of working people being crushed by an incompetent core of lifelong politicians in Washington who have never had any other job than the one they get off a ballot. Political people who choose to fight among themselves rather than fight for fairness for those they claim to represent. The picture displayed the stunned and bloody body of a five-year-old boy, Amran Daknesh, seated in the back of an ambulance, face filthy, smeared with blood, eyes vacant from shock, still alive, a survivor of an aerial bombing campaign in his neighborhood, on a street where war never ends, in a city called Aleppo, in a fractured country called Syria. On MSNBC's Morning Joe program this morning, Gary Johnson, former governor of New Mexico and current presidential nominee of the Libertarian Party, had the following exchange with me. He then goes into the question, what would you do about Aleppo? About, he asked, Aleppo, I said. And what is Aleppo, he wondered. You're kidding, I said, surprised. No, he replied. So on and so forth. Barnacle then goes on to state, quote, It wasn't a trick question. It was the kind of simple question you might hear asked while standing in the checkout line of a supermarket. The kind of question that we might want answered when we are momentarily curious, thrown off our game by the image of Amran, his life fractured. The kind of picture people tweet, ship around on every form of social media for a second, sometimes a day, never for very long because our attention span is too short and the street where Amran lives too far away. Don't blame Gary Johnson for his ignorance or inability to speak to what is happening in a piece of the world that is a cauldron of terror, combat, and refugees. He's not alone. Neither of the two major candidates, Trump and Clinton, have been asked the same simple question recently. What would you do about Aleppo? Maybe it's because one is a bit paranoid about the press and the other simply does not care. Hillary Clinton appears tortured, robotic, unable to speak in a straight line, and is in a permanent defensive crouch when she does find the time to answer a few questions. Trump just lies or makes it up while we shrug our shoulders and treat him like he's still the host of The Apprentice rather than a candidate for President of the United States. We laugh at him, apparently unaware that the joke is on us. Now, if you want to go read that, it's The Daily Beast. Just look up Mike Barnacle. It's his article. It's him writing it. He says he didn't ask it as a gotcha question, but he did ask it to highlight the fact that most of America rushed to Google to figure it out. Most of America didn't know, and this question phrased this way is not asked of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. So do I think that was the, the, the final nail in Gary Johnson's campaign coffin? No.
I don't. And for anybody that wanted to rush to criticize him and continues criticizing him over it, ridiculous. Ridiculous. All right? Here's the thing, people. Until the Flint water crisis, like, took off and took over national headlines, until that happened, if you were asked about Flint when it was just a a starting, bubbling story, you would have been like, wait, what? Where is Flint? Some people might have known it was Michigan, but but a lot of people, especially not in that surrounding area, would have been like, "Where where's Flint? What's going on there? That's all I'm saying. You, you don't know the name of a city half a world away, and you're disqualified from being president, but you're not if you don't know what a little quotation mark around the letter C in your emails is, or you're Donald Trump and you say whatever it is you say, but but not knowing Aleppo gets you disqualified. And mind you, once he said Syria, he said, oh, I got you. Now, some people some people were refreshed by it. Some people that I talked to said, you know, it was real refreshing to hear a politician sit there and go, I, I don't know what you're talking about. It was real refreshing to hear somebody not lie, not dance around the question. Now, I'll, I'll give you this. Gary Johnson could have used context clues. He could have asked it a little bit better instead of just going, what is Aleppo? He could have been like, in in regards to what? If he had said in regards to what, maybe it would have gone down a little bit differently. But it is a vague question to be asked, what would you do about Aleppo, a random city in Syria? Just stating my opinion. Now, Gary Johnson, he's still not quite there yet uh, percentage-wise in the polls for getting on the debate stage. Here's an editorial from the World Herald editorial from the Omaha World Herald. Uh, Let Gary Johnson debate, this article says. Quote, the Presidential Debate Commission should invite the Libertarian candidate to appear on stage starting with the September 26th debate. While he hasn't cleared the arbitrary 15% threshold required on national polls, he's on the ballot in 49 states. And actually, since the writing of this, he is officially on the ballot in all 50 states. He's been more successful on both fronts than Green Party candidate Jill Steen, who, by the way, just recently said she would not have assassinated Osama bin Laden. Why? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't really care, because it's a dumb statement. Uh, Quote, polls indicate historically high unfavorable ratings for both the major candidates in this highly unusual election season. Johnson could do nothing but raise the tenor of discussions. Witnessing his response to his embarrassing what is Aleppo fumble Thursday, quote, this morning I began my day by setting aside any doubt that I'm human, end quote. It's hard to imagine such a humble, straightforward utterance from Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Let Johnson debate. U.S. voters have a right to hear him. And in all honesty, I mean, yes, there needs to be polls, there needs to be thresholds to getting into the debates and all that, but he is on the ballot in all 50 states now. Officially. He's in all the ballots. Jill Steen can't say that, and she also says ridiculous BS things all the time because she's nuts and nobody actually really likes Jill Steen. Okay, sorry, that's a bit that's That's extreme. People like Jill Steen. And she's not totally nuts, but if you listen to some of her talk of what Wi-Fi signals do to children and 
well, the fact that she wouldn't assassinate Osama bin Laden because of international laws and such, even though he was the perpetrator of one of the largest terrorist attacks in modern history. I, it's, no. Mm. Mm. So, you know what, I, you know what though? It's football season. Football's back, baby. The NFL is in. And, and more specifically, I want to talk about, I mean, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, so... First off, get over it, because I know there's somebody out there right now going, oh my god, he likes the Eagles. Yeah, shut up. I Born and raised in Delaware, don't have a team. Closest geographic team is the Eagles, and that's what I grew up watching, and that's what I like. So get over it. Okay? Carson Wentz, quarterback number 11 in his rookie year, making making setting some Eagles records, number one. Uh, the Eagles have never had a, a rookie quarterback start uh, the season as the starter as they did yesterday. Carson Wentz uh, went uh, completed 22 of his 37 pass attempts, 278 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Everybody, uh, all, all the haters and all the critics are like, well, it was the Browns. It was the Browns who have the worst defense. And I'm like, it's, he's a rookie quarterback, and he's starting off pretty pretty damn confidently. And, and the thing that you really have to look at is he dropped back in the pocket he waited. He threw two. His two touchdown passes were beautiful, absolutely beautiful. He stepped back in the pocket. He hung. He waited. They were long passes. They were right on the money to his receivers. They were they were perfect passes. Most rookie quarterbacks, even against bad defenses, can't pull that off in their first game. I don't care who you are. And then take into consideration the Eagles' wide receiving core. Jordan Matthews, who looked a lot better than, than he has in the past. He's still dropping balls that he shouldn't be dropping. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, who's a second-year rookie. Well, second, he's second year. And he didn't do... He, he was trash last year, to say the least. Uh, we just got Green Beckham from, I believe it was the Titans... Uh, he had two catches, uh, and then I can't. Uh, there's Josh Huff. He's a small dude, uh, little to no impact. It would seem right now in the games. Uh, out of all those people, I'd say the solid wide receiving elements of the Eagles are Zach Ertz, the tight end, and Brent Selleck, and the running backs, Darren Sproles, uh, uh, Matthews. Those guys are more reliable than the wide receiving core. And still, Carson Wentz, 278 yards. Very impressive. He was a, If he had hit 300, he would have joined a, a special group of people who uh, there's only like a handful that have managed 300 yards in their debut uh, like that. But no interceptions either. So that was fun. That was fun. And the Eagles defense held the Browns to 10 points only. Robert Griffin the third. Went 12 of 26, 190 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. Was not a good day for him. Was not a good day for their rushing squad at all. The Eagles' rushing squad even did good. Ryan Matthews got uh, touched the ball 22 times, 77 yards, and a touchdown. His longest run was only seven yards. Kenwan Barner, four touches, 42 yards, and 19, uh, a 19-yard run being his longest. And Darren Sproles even touched a couple times. It's a good it's a good running back core out of the NFL. Might even, might, maybe, could be the best. 
but who knows? I could be a little bit biased. But football's back. I watched a couple games yesterday, which was it was awesome just being able to watch games. And in fact, right now, I'm kind of breaking a cardinal rule. I have my uh, my second screen for the computer with the recording program going on. I got my main computer screen. I I have my iPad Mini streaming uh, the BYU versus Utah game from a couple days ago from my TiVo box. Uh, it's been playing this whole time. I've just taken glances at it. Which, I mean, hopefully my podcast has come out good <laughs> so far. I would hope so. But I've been taking glances at a football game while talking about politics and all that. So that should, that should be an example to you. I'll record football games randomly, and then I'll go play video games, but I'll have it playing on the iPad. I'll take glances at the iPad in breaks of my video games and and stuff like that. So... So is that breaking a cardinal rule? I don't know. This is exactly what radio people do anyway, right? They sit here, they read stories while they talk about them, uh, they have notes off to the side, and then they're just they're just watching stuff, right? That's is that what they're doing? I don't know. So usually I start off and I talk about my week and what I did in the past week and and all that jazz. I'll tell you right now. I'm going to tell you at the end here. Liquid Alchemy Beverages. If you're in the Delaware area, northern Delaware area, Liquid Alchemy Beverages just had a grand opening uh, this past Saturday. I want to say Saturday, yes. Liquid Alchemy Beverages is a meadery. Now, mead is uh, honey. It's it's uh, fermented honey. And they do it. They have this... Uh, trying to remember trying to remember all the flavors of oh look at that I'm on their website if you go to liquidalchemybeverages.com you can see the whole layout and stuff they were established in 2012 they had the grand opening of, of this place which is in a, a, a weird location in Wilmington but it's it's cool and you go in there and it's a cool hangout spot they have great uh, throwback decor things like that there are a bunch of nerds that run this place actually I actually want to See if I can meet up with these people and interview them on the podcast. I think that would be very interesting. Have a podcast that's all based on liquid alchemy beverages, or at least half of it, you know, switches it up, gets us off politics. We can talk about mead, right? And mind you, I discovered these guys going to a brew story, Delaware, uh, like a week or so ago. I think I talked about that, where I drank so many different beers and all that. Uh, they were there. They had samples of their of their product, and I tried two different samples there. When we went, uh, it was me, my wife, uh, Jason, Luther, uh, because we're all we're, we're a group of people that can't be separated now. We uh, we all went to check this place out. We got two flights. They have thirteen flavors. So, is it thirteen flavors? Oh God! Now I'm all. No, they have nine flavors. Nine flavors. So two flights, you get uh, two sets of eight, and then a ninth on the side, and they bring all they bring out their whole product lineup, and it's like thirteen bucks for it, and you get like two ounce or three ounce shot glasses of them, and you can sit there and just kind of drink them. You don't have to you know shoot them, you don't have to take them down, but you sit there and you sip them and you figure out which one you like. Now they have all these different types, but it was really we took the tour, and the tour guide was very interesting but they gave us a tour they only actually make one type of mead and it's called their sweet nothing and that is literally just you ferment the honey and you filter it and you drink it there's there's no 
other flavors added to it, nothing blended into it. All the other flavors that they do, they use natural, real ingredients. They get pureed fruit to, to fruit up the drinks, and I'll tell you, I'll just give you uh, some of the breakdowns. They have Dark Cider of the Moon, which is apple meets honey. They have Thiger, that it's Tiger. Um, it's Thai chili peppers, uh, Key West limes. It's a, it's a hot... It's a, like a spicy but chilled drink. It's very good. Uh, they have Pucker Up Baby, which is uh, Jamaican Sorel, which is hibiscus. Uh, very good and fruity drink. They have the 04, four different types of oranges. Uh, orange Blossom, Tangerine, Mandarin Oranges, and Blood Oranges. Very, very good. Overly Optimistic is like a beer type of uh, drink. Although it's classified as a wine. <coughs> they have a host of different flavors. Check out the website, liquidalchemybeverages.com. Their logo is insanely killer. But essentially they produce sweet nothing. It's just they ferment the honey. <coughs> I'm having a coughing fit like Hillary Clinton. You guys are going to be concerned about me soon. Hopefully. Right? No, I got water over here. Hold on. So they produce sweet nothing, and then they add the other stuff later. And so it takes, I, I think he said, four weeks for the sweet nothing, and then six weeks for everything else for the flavor blends. And you can go in there, and you can buy it by the bottle, and it's it's great. But you can also just go there and drink and have a good time. They have a nice little hangout spot there. And we took the tour with the with the guy. I think his name was Terry. I, I need to go back there. I'm gonna. I plan to go back there and ask them if I can interview them. Maybe do some podcast type thing for them. Because I think it would be cool. I kind of wish I did that when I did a brew story. I could have gone around to each table, tried the beers, and just had them do a little snippet about who they were, and get something more extensive if I uh, if I wanted it, or if they wanted it, if they wanted the exposure. I, I see it as a double opportunity. They get to be on a podcast. They'll probably promote it. I'll get some listens. It'll get passed around. It'll be cool. So if you're in the Delaware area, check them out. Go stop by. Take a tour because their tour guides. Hilarious, number one. Very smart dude. And he makes it all very interesting. I'm having a coughing fit. I'm fucking, I'm uh, I'm like Hillary Clinton light right now. And I'm afraid if I crack another Hillary Clinton joke that the Secret Service agents will show up and take me out. So, that's all I'm going to do for this week. I thank you for joining me. As I thank you every week. And I hope that I kept it light and entertaining, but I hope I made some good serious points too. I really, I, 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 that's what I hope. That's my hope. And I hope that you can like this, share this, comment on this, and tell your friends all about what they're missing at the Fritzcast. That'd be great. So seriously, all that stuff. I'll be back next week with another full-fledged firing of, of the Fritzcast. I thank you all for listening. Love, peace, and chicken grease. Hey, uh, seriously though, guys, pass it along. Pass it along to a friend. That's that's the, the number one thing I'm asking every week now. Pass it along to a friend. See you guys next week. Enjoy your week. <laughs>